Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast. And for the first time, we have video. So if you're watching on YouTube, then thank you for tuning in. And if you're listening to the podcast again, thank you. Uh, Today, we're going to look at the latest UFC fight night in Vegas, which happened at the UFC Apex Arena. Now, I mean, where else is better to start than Sergey Pavlovich's impressive victory? Now, Sergey Pavlovich's rise is being recently has been compared to that of Francis Ngannou's. So I want to talk about the comparisons between those two. What's next for Sergey, and all that good stuff. But yeah, first up, Sergey Pavlovich finished Curtis Blades in the first round. Now, that's six consecutive first round finishes for Sergey Pavlovich, and. I mean, do I need to say more? Six first round finishes, and he's only fought seven times in the UFC. Now, his first fight, he was finished by Alistair Overeem in the first round, meaning he's not seen a second round in his entire UFC career. So his victory took him to 18 and one with 15 knockouts. Now, if we compare that to the rise of Ngannou, Ngano was 5 and 1, I believe, when he joined the UFC. And then he had 6 wins with 5 KOs and 1 submission victory before he fought for the title. Now, assuming Sergey Pavlovich is going to fight for the title next, and we're going to get into that whole mess very soon because the UFC heavyweight division is a fucking mess right now. So yeah, Ngano had six victories same as Pavlovich but Pavlovich has finished all of his opponents in the first round now as much as it sounds as impressive on paper I feel like Ngannou's rise to the top was more impressive just because of how vicious his KOs were now not to discredit Sergey's knockouts of course they're incredible but I don't know I think Francis Ngannou is just a lot fucking scarier, right? But I mean, man, what a way to introduce yourself. Um, Pavlovich, it was his his first real big test, I guess. I know he beat Derek Lewis and I know he beat Tai Tuivasa. But Derek Lewis didn't really seem like he wanted to be in there with him. And Tai Tuivasa, I mean, again, he got clipped once and then it was pretty much over straight away. I mean, I'm all in. I'm all in on Pavlovich. I think he's the biggest threat at the minute to John Jones. If John Jones is even going to be the UFC champion when Pavlovich is fighting for the title. But yeah, I mean, what a fucking scary guy. And you've got to consider as well, Pavlovich is only 30 years old. That in itself is fucking crazy. You know, he's probably just hitting his prime. He's got an extended career ahead of himself, especially when you consider how the longevity of heavyweight fighters, their career, the longevity of their career is way more than the average because obviously they don't cut weight. The training's probably easier on the body because you're not having to deplete yourself coming up to these fights. You're not having to restrict yourselves to these diets. But yeah, I mean, I don't know where to get started with him. I'm just, I'm kind of lost for words at how good this guy is. Now, if you've seen that video of him before the fight where he's playing slots, I mean, 
I was I was dying laughing because if you've not seen it, there's a video before the fight, like literally hours before he goes to fight in this main event, in arguably the biggest fight of his career, and he's just playing the slots in Vegas in his in his fucking UFC like fighters jumpsuit. No 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 stress at all going into this fight. So I think even though the clip's pretty funny, and if you've seen the post-fight press conference, his reaction to it, I thought was funny as well. Kind of humanized this like this like monster of a fighter that you know this doesn't speak much, doesn't doesn't talk in English. So you kind of have this perception of him as like this scary guy, and then he just starts like opening up and laughing about it. But yeah, I thought I thought it was a, such an impressive fight. Now there's an argument online about how Curtis Blades had a poor game plan. I'm not sure I totally agree with it. Now, look, going into the fight against Pavlovich, you know you know exactly what you're going to get, similar to when you fight in Ghanu, especially in Ghanu when he was on that, that tear through the division when he first joined. You know you've got to be on the ball for those, those power punches, and you know he's going to come out swinging early. So if you're Curtis Blades, and then as established wrestler as he is, you assume you're going to go and wrestle as quickly as possible. I just think that Pavlovich made it difficult for him with his movement, right? And I don't know. I mean, it was a poor game plan, yeah. I just think that you need to give Pavlovich credit as well. I think Pavlovich was cutting off the entries, especially if you look at the way Blades wrestles. He doesn't really shoot for takedowns in the conventional way. He doesn't really get low and then shoot in and up. He kind of just bends at the hips and leans into the takedowns. So he only shot once the whole, you know, it wasn't long, but the whole duration of the fight, and Pavlovich stuffed it pretty easily. From that point, that's when I knew the fight was done. When he shot and didn't get it early on, I was like, okay, that's it. Pavlovich is going to win. He's going to smoke him. But you have to give credit where credit's due. He's been working at top team, I think, working on his wrestling ahead of this fight. Um, yeah, I mean, what a fucking beast, man. Uh... Yeah, so moving on to the the next fight for Pavlovich is clearly for the heavyweight title, right? But when is that going to be? John Jones versus Stipe was rumored to be International Fight Week. We know that's not going to happen. It's been pushed back. There's been no real reason, publicly stated anyway, to why that fight's not been made yet. Both parties uh, blaming each other. So if if they fight at the end of this year, which is most likely what's going to happen, wouldn't even be surprised if it was early next year. That means Pavlovich is probably at the earliest not going to fight the winner of that until this time next year. So does he want to sit back and wait for the title shot? Which, look, if you're going to be given a heavyweight title shot, yeah, taking a year out and waiting for that makes sense. But... If you want to keep active, especially, like I said before, he's only 30. You don't want to waste these years. You're only risking, you're only risking the title shot. And there's no, there's no guarantee that the winner of Stipe Jones is going to have any other fights after that. Stipe's, I mean, if I don't know his age off the top of my head, but he's got to be close to 40, right? He's 38, 39, something like that. Jones is, Jones is a bit of a wild card when it comes to fights. I don't think... He will fight Pavlovich if he beats Stipe. 
I think Jones calls it a day. I think the only fight that he would probably be tempted in is Ngannou. Now, Pavlovich is probably the biggest fight for him at the moment. I think, especially coming off this victory, Pavlovich is definitely going to be a big fight with the fans. But I just don't think it does enough for John Jones. And I don't think he wants to risk... He doesn't want to risk his, you know, his record, his legacy against someone like that. I don't know, maybe, maybe. If he's willing to risk it against Nganu, I mean, who am I to say? But I would be very, very surprised if Jones fights after the Stipe fight. I think he calls it a day. Now, if anyone's, you know, leaning on that eight-fight deal that he signed with the UFC, that's bollocks. There is absolutely no way he fights eight more times. That contract is one for show, one to boost his money, and two to uh, three, even whatever, is to tie him down uh, out of doing anything outside of the UFC when he retires. That's why when you see any of these celebrity boxing matches, like uh, Ben Askren, for example, he had to get the UFC's okay to do that. Signing John Jones on this massive deal stops him from doing anything outside of the UFC, and we know how controlling the UFC likes to be of its fighters. So it kind of keeps him tied to the company for when he retires, and then they can kind of use that in their own way to, you know, promote the UFC and whatever they need him for. Uh, yeah, so I would be so surprised if we ever see Pavlovich versus the winner of Jones and Stipe, which puts him in such a shitty position because he's now the clearest number one contender. He's not going to be fighting for the title next. And even when the title is ready to be fought for, it's probably going to be a vacated title anyway. So, like, what does he do? Does he sit out for a year or does he fight another contender? Does he keep, you know, keep himself active? Because he doesn't. he's not taken any damage in his last, seven, his last seven fights. Last six fights even, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, he's in a sticky situation. And then we look to Blades. And, man, I feel bad for Blades, right? His his game plan was very questionable. And that's the third title eliminator he's found himself in where he's been KO'd. So he himself is pretty young, right? He's like 31, I think. Maybe even 30. And who does he fight next? Is he just the gatekeeper now for the title? Or does he have one more run in him? You know, if he can get a couple more big wins, does that put him back in title contention? Because there's a bunch of heavyweights where they're in a similar situation now. They've been beaten. They're looking to, you know, climb back up the rankings. I personally think a great fight for Blades would be a rematch versus Aspinall. Because, no, I mean, that was personally a fight I was looking forward to and we didn't get to see it. Um, Blades has publicly stated that he doesn't count it as a win on his record, even though it is one. So if they run it back, a massive win against Aspinall puts him right back up there in contention. Um, also does the same for Aspinall. I'm not even mad at the idea of uh, Pavlovich versus Aspinall. The way, if I'm going to make a prediction, and if you listen to my podcast or you've seen my YouTube videos, you know I'm fucking crap at predictions. But my prediction would be Pavlovich fights Aspinall sometime next year for the vacated title. Now, how we get there is pretty unknown. I think Aspinall obviously has a couple of fights before then. And I think Pavlovich maybe just sits out and waits. And I am 99% sure that Jones and Stipe don't fight after they fight each other. So I'm just going to go on record and say it now. Yeah, stick with me with that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a shit situation for Blades, but what can you do? 
he just seems to he just seems to get so close it's kind of like when you think about Darren Till when he was in his prime right he was one of those fighters that you just thought he's gonna get there eventually and things just didn't work out now Blades has had a lot more success than Darren Till has but it's been kind of the same end result so yeah I feel like Blades isn't done I think he's an amazing fighter I think he just needs to work on a couple of things especially when he's fighting these big guys maybe he's just a little bit cautious after the way he got knocked out to Lewis that he was going to get caught by the uppercut by Pavlovich because we saw him throw it when when uh, Blades ducked his head and when he went for the takedown I think it's the way that he uses his takedowns out in the open he, he just leaves himself open for that and it just makes it so much harder to get the takedown but once you're on the ground then I mean man you're in his world so yeah, I think Blades just needs to work on a couple of things and then he's right back up there in the top of the division. I don't think there's many people that can beat him. Outside of Pavlovich and Aspinall, I think Blades gives anyone a good run for their money. I mean, I personally think Blades gives Jones a really good fight, even after seeing him get beat by Pavlovich in the fashion he did. So yeah, and this just goes back to how Making predictions for fights is so hard, right? I said I suck at predictions because it's so hard to make them. The only information you have as a fan is previous fights. So let's take Pavlovich for, exa for an example. His only defeat in the UFC came to Overeem. Overeem had great success in the clinch and wrestling. So if you're watching that, I mean, when was this loss? Like three years ago? Four years ago? The only information you have where you think, okay, because he's stashed all his opponents right in the first round, you don't have anything on him other than than that that's most recent. So if you think that's the game plan that's going to win, you're telling me he's not improved in those three or four years? He's not adapted his game to, to, to fix the issues he had against Overeem? So if you go in thinking that that's how you're going to win, he's, he's such a better fighter than that. And fighters not only evolve but fighters have different game plans going into fights so there's no saying that he just had a poor game plan going into that fight and it, things just didn't work out and then he thinks shit i'm never going to do that again i know what went wrong i fixed it so if you're thinking oh that's what we're going to go off to to win this fight it's just not going to work it's just it's just yeah it doesn't work and before we move on i think the last thing i want to talk about sergey pavlovich is Calling for the bonus, right, after a fight. Now, UFC fighter pay has been a huge issue for, you know, God knows how many how many years. He's the main event. So him and Blades, you know, debating who the A-side is, are going to be the highest paid on that card. And he's calling for the extra 50K. Sounds like a lot, right? But if you're the main event fighter and you're, you know, desperate for that 50K how badly are these guys being paid because he's not the only guy to do it right i understand like the prelims calling for the 50k when they get a knockout i deserve it but it's such it's such a common theme now that fighters call for these bonuses it just comes across as desperate which only reflects badly on the ufc there should never be a situation where these fighters are so desperate for this little bit i mean it's not a little bit of extra cash but you know what i'm saying like this extra bit of cash and they're so desperate to get it now, who doesn't like money, right? 50K, it's, it's a lot. But the desperation in which these fighters are calling for it, they should never be put in that position anyway. 
I just think it's a whole situation with the fighter pay and it still needs to be fixed. And I don't want to get drawn into the fighter pay debate because, you know, if you're one of my two listeners, I get off topic pretty easily. I shoot these in one shot. I very rarely use my notes. I end up losing them and shit. So, yeah, let's just leave that as it is. But I just think fighters, just fucking pay them more, right? Just pay them more. The UFC... They merged with the with the WWE recently, right? A couple of weeks ago. And the UFC was valued higher than the WWE. Now, I don't know how exactly these valuations work. I don't know if that is based on revenue or, you know, future predictions and whatever. But, like, as an outsider, I would just automatically assume in a company like the WWE is worth more. But if the UFC is valued at more, there is absolutely no way that those UFC fighters are getting paid more than the WWE fighters. Now, yeah, let's be honest. The UFC probably, they have like 600 and something people on the roster. They have a bunch of backroom staff, etc., etc. But the biggest stars, you're telling me the biggest stars in the UFC as a whole get paid more than the biggest stars in the WWE. There ain't no fucking way. So yeah, Dana fucking needs to fix the fighter pay problem. People need to stop calling for the bonuses. It just makes the company look cheap and it just comes across as desperate. And it's like, it's that whole thing. I mean, especially me personally, right? If someone's like calls for something, it makes me not want to give it to them. Same thing with like, if people, if it's something you can't have, you know, you, you just want it a little bit more. Same thing. If people are calling for something, I don't, I don't want to give it you. So yeah, that that's my, that's my 50 pence anyway. So, uh, yeah. Moving on to the co-main, Bruno had that big win against Tavares. Now, Bruno has had an interesting UFC career so far. He had three KO victories in his first three UFC fights. And he kind of went under the radar, I'll be honest. I didn't know who he was until he fought Alex Pereira. Now, he is the only person, I believe, in the UFC that went to a decision with Alex Pereira. Now, if you can go to a decision with a guy like Alex Pereira, that in itself is pretty fucking impressive, right? That's that's one of those uh, defeats that that it kind of shines on the opposition as well. Now, after his loss to Pereira, he did get caught in a submission by uh, Gerald Mercer. I think it was Gerald Mercer, right? I mean, I butchered his name again. But you know what I mean, if if you're following. So, yeah, he had three victories, and then I believe he had two losses. I'm not sure if he had another victory prior to his win with Travares. But being put on a co-main event, and then getting the quick KO victory that he did, super impressive, and I think it puts his name out in the spotlight again. And when you put a fighter's name out in the spotlight like that, then it entices people and encourages them to to do a little bit of extra research and a little bit of digging, and then you'll see how talented of a fighter he is. And yeah, I think it can it's it's only it's only it's only gonna help him. And Travares is a good fighter, right? He's he's pretty he's a pretty big name, especially in like the Australia, New Zealand area of the world. And yeah, I think I think over the next few fights, if Bruno can keep racking up a couple of wins, he's gonna be someone to keep an eye on in that division for sure. He he has everything. He's he's very good, very good on the feet, and 
he's he's, he's decent on the ground as well and he, and he went toe to toe with Pereira I mean you lost a decision to to one of the best kickboxers that the UFC's ever had I mean fair fucking play so yeah I think that's a big win gives him a little bit of that momentum he had prior to the Pereira fight and then you know losing two fights back to back we know how cutthroat the UFC can be when you lose three or more fights in a row unless you're one of Dana's boys it usually means you're being cut so good to see him get that win and I think I think it's big things for him from here um, another thing I want to say about Bruno is his translator I don't know if anybody's noticed how fucking good Fabiano Busque, Busque is he is my favourite interpreter I've ever seen in in MMA ever I think he only joined in like 2020 so he's fairly new but he's a familiar face I think he's uh, Charles Oliveira's interpreter as well I believe he speaks English, Spanish, Portuguese and Italian which in itself is impressive. But the thing I like about this translator, this interpreter, is he doesn't just reiterate and repeat what the fighter has said to you. He also embodies the passion that they speak with. So when you're watching him you know, retell what the fighter has just said, he tries to imitate the way they said it. So you, you, you get a sense of the emotion that they're talking with that a lot of other translators don't give. So whenever I see him come in the ring to translate for someone, I'm always fucking super pumped and I'm super excited that they get that they that they get to speak with him. It's just so refreshing to see someone like that. Because it's something that probably goes unseen, but you, you, you subconsciously appreciate it. So yeah, super impressive victory. Love the fucking love his translator Fabiano. And I think he's definitely a name to keep an eye on. Another couple of wins. I'm sure. I'm sure if you feed him someone in the top 15 now. I mean, I would have to look back at the actual rankings. But if you give him someone from 10 to 15, I think Bruno gives him a fucking good fight. Yeah, I, th I think he's definitely someone someone to keep an eye on. Um, the next fight was uh, ah, the Bobby Green, man. The Bobby Green fight. I love Bobby Green so much. He's one of my, he's one of my favorite fighters. <clears throat> I think he's a great guy. I love his interviews. I love how authentic he is. He, he doesn't pretend to put on a persona. He just who he is all the time. Now, he was... I mean, okay, let's go back. If anyone missed the fight, the fight ended in the first round. After the referee called a stoppage to Bobby Green's ground and pound, but then they called it a no contest due to an accidental headbutt, which obviously led to the... To the, to the finish. So, Bobby Green goes in with a left elbow, catches Jared with his head, Jared falls down, and Jared's not out. He He's still shooting up like for a triangle, he's kicking, he's trying to grab hold, and Bobby Green ultimately gets the finish. Now, they just need to be clearer with the rules. Now, I'm not against the no contest, especially if it's leading up to the sequence of the finish. If the headbutt plays a pivotal role in the finish, it's not fair, right? It's like if you hit an accidental low blow and the referee misses it, you curl down and you fall and, you know, you get fucked up. It's a no contest. It's not It's not in the rules. But the UFC needs to be clearer with these rules because we saw previously in Kel Kelvin Gassam's fight with Chris Curtis, similar thing happened, but, you know, Curtis wasn't finished. He was 
able to keep fighting, but he ultimately lost that round, which ultimately lost him the fight. Now, I understand that referees will miss it. It's hard to see. I understand that, you know, the commentators, the people on the side, the people working the cameras might miss it until they see a replay. But now you have the information after the fight. It's a no contest, right? If you, if it's one rule for one, it's another rule for another. And if, if you're not going to do that, then at least come and explain the rules so we know why as fans and the fighters know why. Because if, if it's only going to be a no contest if the fight finishes there, let them know. If... If it's going to play a pivotal role in the result of the fight, let them know. Let them know the rules prior to the fight, or at least the fans know, so we can educate ourselves so we know what to look for. Because it just it's it's shit for the fighters because the UFC works on a show pay and win and win pay. So Bobby Green was pretty animated in his interview talking about how he's lost half of his money. Because in those moments when he thinks he's won. I think he said on Ariel Hawani's show, he lost 100K. So I'm assuming his show money was 100K, win money was 100K. 100K is a lot of money. And especially when you're someone like Bobby Green, he's late in his career, he's had like over 50 fights. He's trying to rack up as much as he can for when he retires, right? I'm not saying he's looking to retire soon, but it's definitely got to be in the pipeline or at least in the back of his mind. You know, he's not he's not got a five, 10 year plan like some younger fighters might have. So he, that's a lot of money for him. And... Same for Curtis. A massive win against Gaslam propels him up the rankings, gives him a huge fight next. And no contest at Leeds gives him the chance to run it back or, you know, come up with some other solution. And if you're going to give a no contest, why not split the, the win bonus? If no one gets it, who's pocketing it? The UFC? If, if Bobby Green doesn't get his 100k, who gets it? And he said on Ariel Hawani's show he wasn't giving it because there's been uh, numerous occasions, right, where Dana White's given people win bonuses even though they didn't win in certain situations or he's given an extra, you know, bonus on the sly. But if Bobby Green didn't get it, who gets it? He's not giving it to Jared Gordon. If it's a no contest, why not split it 50k each way and then have them run it back, you know, whenever. So, Yeah. I mean, be fucking clear on the rules, set a precedent. Or if if they're not going to be open with the rules for the fans, at least let the commentators know what the rules are and educate the commentators so the commentators can educate us as the fight is happening. Because I think that's a big thing. A lot, Especially a lot of fans that might not watch it as intensely as I do personally or as, you know, more active fans, more passionate fans might watch it. They might not know what they're looking for. They might not know what's happening. So... If the commentators are at least up to date with all the rules, because they didn't know what was going on, even in the Gaslam fight, they didn't know what would happen if the headbutt was a, was you know class as significant. So, yeah, educate the commentators, I guess, a bit more. Be a bit more clearer. Explain it more in the media because I'm still clueless and I follow like almost every single interview I can find. So, yeah, sucks sucks for Bobby Green. Sucks for Jared Gordon. And sucks for Chris Curtis. It's a whole situation. But, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, especially in the logistics and things like that. But, yeah, moving on. Um, Wells versus uh, Salensberger. I I was saying to some of my friends before this, I was like, this this fight's going to be a banger. This fight's going to be a banger. And, I mean, I was impressed. It was such a tough fight to call, and it comes back to that old age of damage versus control. Right, Salzburger 
clearly, especially in round one, I had Salzburger winning round one, Wells winning two and three. Salzburger almost finished Wells in the first round. In the second round, he caused more damage over a shorter period of time. And then I think Wells controlled him for like three, three and a half minutes. So you're stuck with the what's worth more damage and control. And it's just such a, it's such just a tough thing to score. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad at it because it's, it's just tough to, it's just tough. But going back to the rules, I think the main, the key thing that the judges are told to look for is damage. So if someone causes more damage in the five minutes, does that mean they win the round? Or does it have to go over a certain time period? Because let's say, for example, fighter A almost finishes fighter B in the first 30 seconds, right? Properly does a lot of damage, fucks him up, cuts him up. But then fighter B recovers and wins the rest of the round without doing as much damage. It looks good to the audience because it looks like they're controlling the fight. But if we're going to say damage is the most important thing, then fighter A should win. Especially like we saw with Selensberger and Wells. So yeah, I mean, I think things like this is what makes the sport so entertaining. The controversies, the discuss the discussion points, I'm all for it. And I have no answers. I'm just here to, to babble on about it and see which three people are going to listen to me. Uh, another thing I want to mention about Salzberger is in his last two fights, he has had five knockdowns with zero finishes. <laughs> That's an impressive record. Not one you want to have. Because, I, I mean, someone who I think is so, so, so underrated in his finishing ability is Dustin Poirier. Because when Dustin Poirier has someone hurt, he just doesn't go hell for leather. He will change up his attack approaches and he's so smart and calculated with his finishes, which is why he's such a deadly finisher. I think it in itself, it's a whole new thing, that you, a whole new skill you need to master. Because if you have someone hurt, you can't just go in swinging and you can't just hold off and let them recover. You have to be calculated. You have to, you have to be calm and you have to be, you know... You have to be a master of it, I guess, to to get the finishes. And Salzberger proved that, right? He he could have finished Wells multiple times in that fight. And in his previous fight, I believe he had like two, three knockdowns and still didn't get the finish. Now, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to mention it. Another thing was the uh, Walker versus in Incindo was on the main card. No, it's, I mean, obviously you have the beauty of hindsight. When you watch a fight and you're like, you know, this is the time for me to go make a coffee. This is the time for me to go have a bathroom break. That shouldn't be happening on the main card, especially when the week before you had Roy Val on the, um, versus, what's his face? Nicolau on the, on the, on the prelims. That in itself is a crime. Now, the fact that, Roy Val was on the prelims and everybody, every single man and his dog knew that was a bad decision, right? Everyone knew that was going to be a banger and everyone knew the implications that that fight had. Now, does that come back to the the way that the flyweight division is viewed in, in the UFC? Because we all know that the flyweight division was going to be cut a couple of years ago or, you know, until 
fucking hundred in my head. Until Cejudo and uh, Mighty Mouse saved that division. It was going to be cut. So is there, is there like, I don't know. Is there a stigma on the flyweights? Do, do, do the UFC matchmakers think that they're boring fights? Or is there a leniency towards women's MMA? Are they trying to push women's MMA? Because, I mean, Pennington versus... What's it, what's her name? Uh, Adana, Adrana or something? I don't even know. It's their second fight. Never seen the first. That's one of the main cards in the... Uh, the main events in the up-and-coming UFC events. Answer me that. If Roy Val is fighting Nicolau on the on the prelims, Pennington and Adrana or whatever her name is is main event, and Walker Isindo is on the main card. There's there has to be some sort of, and I don't want to say it's to do with the whole woke movement. You know, Dana White doesn't really strike me as someone that kind of adheres to the woke movement but it definitely seems like there is some push behind women's mma they're trying to you know since they lost ronda rousey they don't really have that standout star i know they have amanda nunez i know they have shevchenko but how many people in the street do you know that know those that know those names if you go and ask an everyday person how many and then do that again and ask how many of those people know ronda rousey you know it's night and day so, yeah, I, I definitely feel there's some sort of agenda towards women's MMA. Now, I'm not saying it's because of the woke movement. Maybe they're just trying to push women's MMA. They're trying to make it more popular. But you've got to think, women's MMA didn't really take off until Ronda Rousey came into the UFC. I'm not saying they didn't have good fighters. They have amazing fighters. They have some of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters. Amanda Nunes is probably, if you have men and women, in the top 10 pound-for-pound -pound of all time. No, not all time. What am I saying? But she's, you know, she's in top 10. Now, it's just, I don't feel, one, it's as marketable. I think there's some sort of agenda to it. I'm not sure what, quite what. Maybe they're just trying to make women's MMA popular. But if you look at the roster, then you'll see that it's majority, the majority of the fighters are men, which means just by the numbers, the best fighters are going to be male. So the best fighters and the most entertaining fights should be the ones on the main card. And not only that, you want to sell these pay-per-views. If you're putting two names that most people don't even know, I I don't know Pennington and her opponent. I don't know her, her opponent's name. And I watch the UFC religiously for the last few, you know, however many fucking years. So yeah. Got me a bit vexed, actually, so I'm going to move on. Um, Montel Jackson got his nice KO. Uh, also, six consecutive fights with a knockdown. I believe only six fighters have done that. No, eight. Eight fighters. It was eight fighters prior to that card. Uh, it was six fighters prior to that card, making it eight. Meaning, Sergey Pavlovich, because six, you know, first round KOs, six knockdowns. Montel Jackson also six knockdowns in six consecutive fights. That man has got fucking hands of steel. What a what a victory for him as well. I think uh, I think he's a marketable marketable person as well. I think it's a nice record to use when promoting him. I think he's a tough fight. He's he's got dynamite in his fists. You know, 
I think that's that's a great guy to get behind and keep an eye on. Uh, and before I wrap it up, I mean, how long have I been going for now? Uh, 35 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. It's a little bit of a shorter one than usual, but I've covered all the points I've, I want to do. And, uh, yeah, Usman. Usman got a victory. Uh, I'm, I predicted he was going to lose. I'm surprised he won. I mean, it was nice to see him use his wrestling. I don't think he's got a big future in the UFC. I just don't think he's good enough. I feel like he got pretty lucky in his debut in the tough final against a better opponent. He landed a shot that didn't even look like it was powerful. It was just on the on the button. Um, yeah, they they fed him a nice a nice young fighter, inexperienced, that he was able to just lean on and wrestle. Uh, man, I I feel like it's coming across like. You know, I have something against him. I don't. I just don't think he's at the level of the UFC. He's like 35. He's coming pretty late. He's he's a big name because of his brother. And I know in the whole of the like Ultimate Fighter show, he was adamant. I want to make my own name. There is no way you can have someone as successful as Kamaru Usman and not live in his shadow. He is one of the best, if not the best, welterweight of all time. Now, of course... Depending on how he rebounds back from his two defeats to Leon is probably going to be what cements that or not. Because, of course, you know, we have GSP, my favorite fighter of all time. So it's tough for me to say that Kamaru Usman is better than him. But, you know, there's an argument for it, <clears throat> especially when you think of the level of competition. Again, another debate for another day. But if we look at the level of competition that Usman has fought and how much more well-rounded fighters are in the modern era compared to when GSP was champion. I think that Usman's title reign is way more difficult than GSP's were. Shoot me. But yeah, and then Usman got the victory. I said he wouldn't. Again, not good with predictions. I don't think I don't think he ever wins a big fight, put it that way. That I'm willing to fucking bet my house on. I think if Usman fights a semi-competent fighter, I think he gets slept or demolished. But yeah, and then last thing, Brady had an impressive comeback victory, right? He had a big cut on his eye, a nasty cut. He he was probably down two rounds, needed to finish, and he got it. And he was someone I was super impressed with in the Ultimate Fighter. I know he didn't get very far, considering, but he's had such a good fucking run since since then. And I think he is the complete opposite of Usman. He he's young. He has a great future ahead of him. So yeah, keep your eye on him. Uh, I'm gonna be more active on my YouTube. Um, keep an eye out for some videos. I'm gonna be doing video versions of the podcast. If you don't want to just listen, um, podcasts are gonna be weekly now. They were previously only for pay-per-views. I'm gonna be doing them for every single event. I'm gonna be doing some bonus ones for the PFL. And again, like I said last time, I am working pretty hard on getting some interviews lined up. Um, I've got some some things, some good things in the in the in the pipeline. Not quite finalized, but you know, I've got some conversations going, some some ideas floating. So yeah, thank you for listening. 
tune into the next episode and if you're watching on youtube you know like the video and subscribe it to it or whatever i don't know what you're supposed to say um thank you for listening i'll see you on the next episode